0: Looking these Sunday mornings at the Book of Ephesians, and um, we're in Chapter Four this week of Ephesians, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and I'm going to read to you the first six verses of Ephesians Chapter Four. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble It's the word of God to us today. And uh, we've been looking at this, this great letter, which is possibly a, a circular letter to the uh, churches in this region. And, and this one is to the church in Ephesus. And uh, Paul, as he says, is a prisoner for the Lord. He is in chains as he writes this letter. And we are moving now, in, as we move into chapter 4, we are moving from... Um, the first three chapters of exposition we're moving to exhortation we're moving from uh, orthodoxy to orthopraxy we're moving from how to live out the truth that Paul has been preaching to them and writing to them about in uh, the amazing first three chapters of of the book of the Ephesians and now he's going to start to apply now he's coming to the appeal uh, we've had the doxology we've had the worship We've had the prayers that Paul has prayed over these believers. We've had him teaching them about what they have been called to. We've had them, him speaking to them about the great deliverance that they've had and uh, the unification of Gentiles and Jews to make them one in Christ. and. Uh, he's spoken about all his, these things, he's written to them and he's exhorted them, and now he's, he's challenging them to live out the truths of what he's been writing to them about. So he says, as a, as a prisoner for the Lord then, that's kind of his, his credibility, he's, he's a prisoner, he's in chains, he's living what he's preaching, he's living it out, and he says, I urge you, I urge you, you Ephesians, to live a life Worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, <clears throat> this uh, phrase here, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The Greek is axios. Uh, for, for this worthy, and, and the picture that Paul is painting is of some weighing scales. You remember those old-fashioned weighing scales with you would put weights in one side and, and then you would put goods in the other side and you would, you would balance them out and, uh, and then you'd get, get it so that the scales were even. The axios is when those things are in balance. And so Paul is saying, I want you to live in balance with the calling that you have received. I want you to live worthy of all of these things that I've been describing in the first three chapters. What, what has he been describing? What, let's remind ourselves of what's in the scale on the right-hand side. What has Paul been put, putting on? What is this calling of God that is on us? Well, he says, he says that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Remember that? Remember that he has chosen us in him before um, the, the beginning of the world. He he's adopted us as his children. He has redeemed us through his blood. He has forgiven our sins. He has lavished his grace upon us. He has shown us his mystery. He has sealed us with his spirit. He has given us hope. He has promised us a glorious inheritance in the saints. He's given us power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He's raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. He's made us alive in Christ. He has saved us By His grace, He has brought us near through the blood of Christ. He's included us in His family. He's made us a citizen of heaven. He has made us a part of His church. He's given us peace. He's reconciled us to God. He loves us deeply and comprehensively and unconditionally. He has called us with a heavenly calling. And all of these things Paul has been putting on the scales for the last three chapters. He's saying this is the amazing calling of God on your life. You Gentiles, you were separate from Christ. You were dead in your sins. You, you were under the influence of the world, the flesh, of the devil. You, you, you were behind this dividing wall of hostility. You couldn't get near the covenants of God that the Jews were enjoying. You were aliens. You were without hope. You were without God. You were all of these things. But now, but now, God has forgiven you, he's redeemed you, he's saved you through the cross, he's, he's put you as one with the Gentile, the Jews, he's gotten rid of that dividing wall of hostility, he's done all of this, he's called you, he's chosen you, he's adopted you, he's redeemed you, he's forgiven you, he's done this through the blood of the cross and his forgiveness of your sins, God has done all of these things and, and Paul has just been piling it on and piling it on and piling it on for these uh, at start of his letter, he's been reminding them, and not only has he been reminding them of these truths, but he's been praying for them that they would grasp it, that they would understand it, and not just in their, in their knowledge, in their heads, but that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, so they can see and grasp and understand the extent to which God loves them, the extent, the height and the depth and the breadth of it, of the love of God. He says, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know God better, that you'd know the hope that he's called you to, that you'd know his inheritance in the saints, you'd know the, the power that's available to you as a Christian. I'm praying for you, Paul says. I, have, I never stop praying for you, Ephesians. Even though I'm in these chains, that can't stop me praying for you, that you will not only see the truth of all that God has done for you, but, not, but that you will experience it, that you will grasp it, and that you will live in the reality of it. And so Paul gets to this place then at the beginning of chapter four, and he says then, I urge you, I urge you to live worthy, in balance with the calling that God has put on your life, of all of these things that he has done for you. Because he's done so much for you, Gentile believers, Jewish believers, you are now all one in Christ. And there's, There's an impetus now. There's there's an urgency. I am urging you, Paul says, to live worthy. Now, the the verb there, to live, is peripateo, and it means to walk. And this whole uh, last section of Ephesians, as we look through it in the next few weeks, is about walking the walk and not just talking the talk. It's about living it out. You remember the bangles walk like an Egyptian and... uh, Well, we are not to walk like Egyptians, we are to walk like Christians. And Paul challenges them throughout the second half of Ephesians, verse 1 of chapter 4, which we're reading now, walk worthy of the calling that you've received. In verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. In verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, walk in love. And in verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, walk as children of light. And in verse 15 of chapter five, it says, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Peripateo, to walk, to live out. So walk worthy. Let your walk match your talk. Now grace is something that we've been just singing about right now. Your wonderful grace. that gives me the time to change, that washes away my stains, that once covered me, that, that, uh, that I don't deserve this grace. It's a, it's a, it's a gift of God. But sometimes as Christians, we've, we've taken grace and we've, we've given, it, given ourselves a whole pass. And, and it, it just, it, it, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We can never earn our salvation, ever. It's a gift of God. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, isn't it? It's by grace you've been saved. It's not by works, so that none of you can boast. This is a gift of God to save you, But then he says, work it it out. Now we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And and this grace of God, Paul says elsewhere as he writes to the Corinthians, he says, this grace of God was not without effect in my life. It started to change me. So I, I got this gift from God. I got this gift of salvation. I received this calling from God. And Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. I was the absolute worst. There's nobody worse than me. I blasphemed Christ. I, I persecuted the church. There's nobody less deserving than me, Paul says, but his grace came into my life. He saved me. He knocked me off my horse. He encountered me on the road to Damascus and he changed my life. And now that grace is starting to work out my life into the way I live my life and it's changing me from the inside out. And so his challenge, Paul, is here Is that this calling that is on your life it is not without effect this grace that's been given to you is not without effect it's for a purpose and now Paul says I am urging you I am challenging you live worthy of the calling that you have received you have received so much and he goes on then and and that's the calling the first point is walk worthy of your calling and each one of us is challenged to do to do this, to live out what God has put inside of us, what God has gifted us. So Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. A second point I want to make is that we are to grow and live out Christian character. Listen to this in verse two: be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul is is challenging them. He's going to challenge them to live in unity. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is the character of a spirit-filled life that produces unity in the church of Christ. These are characteristics that are needed for unity in the church. We need humility. We need gentleness. We need patience. And we need to bear with one another. Long before... uh, What's she called, that female comedian? Bear with, before she said... What's she called, Emma? Emma? Miranda, Miranda, Miranda says, bear with, bear with, put up with me. Long before Miranda said it, the Apostle Paul said it, that we are to bear with, which means put up with one another. Did you know you have to put up with one another in the body of Christ? Bear with one another. We'll get to that, but first of all, he says, be completely humble. Uh, One of the greatest causes of disunity is pride. It's what caused, originally it's what caused Satan to fall. <laughs> it's what caused disunity originally in the, in the original fall of the, of the angels. But, but humility, be completely humble. We are called to, to, to humility. There's this funny story in the Bible of uh, the disciples one day as they were walking along and they were arguing who was the greatest amongst them? <laughs> and then when they got to Capernaum, they went inside the house where they lived. Uh, and Jesus said, like Colombo style, uh, What were you chatting about on the road, guys? What were you talking about? And they all kind of looked at their shoes and uh, they didn't want to admit what they'd been talking about. They'd been arguing about who was the greatest. <laughs> Which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us has 12 apostles, 12 disciples? I wonder how they scored. Yeah, What was the scoring system for greatness? Well, uh, Peter says, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw Jesus in all of his glory. Peter, James, and John, we're kind of, the, we're the in group. We're, you know, Jesus takes us to places that he doesn't take you guys. And we're, we're the elite of the elite. And they're all arguing. And another time, uh, James and John, that you know, uh, mum went to Jesus and said, when... When you enter into your kingdom, Lord, let my sons sit either side of you in your kingdom. Let them have the places of honor. And the disciples, they're always scrabbling for position and for power and for influence and for the inside track with Jesus. So they're all arguing, Whatever they're, however they're arguing, they're arguing who's the greatest, who's the most important to Jesus. And Jesus, <laughs> what were you talking about on the road? What, what, what was the subject? <laughs> Can you imagine kind of them being red-faced and being busted by Jesus, Columbo style? And it says he took a little child and brought this child out and stood the child amongst these great men of God. <laughs> he said, um, if ever any one of you wants to be great, <laughs> you need to be like this child. You need to become the least. You need to become the smallest the least important, the most overlooked. Whenever you're scrabbling for position or power, uh, that's where you're at your weakest. But if, if you become the least, then you're becoming more like Jesus. That's what Paul wrote to the Philippians when he wrote to them. He's, he said, Philippians chapter 2, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if you've got any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When when Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, "I, I want you not to do things in vain conceit, but I want you to have the same attitude as Jesus had, Jesus was equal with God, co-equal with the Father, and yet he didn't hold on to that position, but he gave it up, he emptied himself, and he became nothing, and he, he humbled himself, even to the point of exposure and death on a cross. And Paul says, I want you to have the same attitude as Jesus has, and the same humility. Jesus said, didn't he, he said, come to me, learn from me. Learn from me, because I am humble, Gentle. that's who I am that's what I am Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem I am humble and I am, I am gentle and we can learn from Jesus this sense of humility and, and Paul says I, I urge you to be completely humble to put others first uh, above yourself this will lead to, to unity and pride leads to disunity. Elsewhere, James writes in uh, James 4, and he says, uh, why are there so many squirrel, quarrels and squ- squabbles amongst you? Why do you fight with each other? He says, it's because you don't get what you want. <laughs> it's, it, you're putting yourself first, and, it, it, and then he challenges them. He says, you know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, Paul is challenging them to be humble and, and to live out their faith in humility. But he also says, be gentle. Be gentle. Be gentle with one another. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And gentleness is in, in you know, it's hard to find these days, isn't it? People that are Gentle. But, but the Bible again and again, it calls us to be gentle. It says, look, explain your faith to other people. Peter wrote this. He said, go and tell people about your Christian faith, but do so with gentleness and respect. Don't be overbearing, don't be strident, don't be uh, heavy-handed. Be gentle and respectful when you share your faith with other people. And we are called to be gentle. We're called to be gentle when we restore sinners, people that are caught in sin and, and messed up lives. Those of you who are more mature, those of you who, who, who are longer in the tooth in the faith, says restore those who are caught in sin, but do so gently. Do it with gentleness. We are called to a gentle life. We are called to be gentle with one another. Again, Jesus said, learn from me because I am I am gentle, and this is, the, this is the challenge to every one of us to, to live this gentle life and to show this gentleness of spirit. And it is a very, very, attractive, uh, a very attractive uh, personality trait that the Bible calls us to. Paul says, "Be completely humble, be gentle, and be patient. <laughs> be patient. Now patience, John Chrysostom. Uh, described patience, let me find uh, this quote. Uh, He said, uh, the etymology of the word means to have a wide and a big soul, Uh, to to, to be patient, to have a a wideness, a, a, a generosity of soul. Patience is the exercise of a largeness of soul that can endure annoyances and difficulties over a period of time. Patience is the exercise of a largeness of soul that can endure annoyances and difficulties over a period of time. How patient are you? How about when you are stuck behind a slow driver? Do you start to twitch? Does your hand hover over the horn? What about in the queue at the supermarket when the person in front of you queries something and the attendant calls the supervisor? How patient are you? What about when your internet connection slows down and you have to wait, gasp, 10 seconds for something to download? What about with a difficult person in your small group or at church or at work? Paul says, be patient with one another. Have a, a generosity of spirit, a largeness of soul. And then he says, bear with one another. Bearing with one another in love. Putting up with one another. Peterson, Eugene Peterson, I'm I'm reading his biography at the moment. He says the church is not ideal. It is not, nor was it ever intended to be a gathering of the nicer people in town. God is not fastidious in the company he keeps. There are sinners aplenty. Hypocrites in droves. The ill-mannered and the unwashed. These are men and women who are on the way to growing up to the stature of Christ. We have to be patient with one another. The next time someone is seriously getting under your skin and you are tempted to be rude and impatient, look into their eyes and think, this person is made in the image of God. <laughs> this person is my brother or my sister in Christ. And we are called to be patient with one another, and we're called to put up with one another. This is what we were called to. So, this is the challenge of Scripture. And this is the challenge of Scripture to uh, grow in and live in Christian character. And Jesus, of course, modeled all of this. He modeled it in the way that, again, when the disciples We're refusing to serve one another. Jesus was the one that took off his outer garments. He was the one that wrapped a towel around himself. He was the one that put his hands in the basin and knelt down at his disciples' feet and washed their grimy feet. The king of the universe, the lord of the universe, the creator of all things, the creator of those smelly feet. And Jesus is not too big to kneel and to wash their feet. The disciples sometimes, they were too big. They were too insistent on their position. They were too entrenched in their position. But Jesus showed them a better way. And he said, if I, as your master and your Lord, have done this for you, then how much more should you serve one another? So we are, first of all, to live worthy of the calling. All of this calling that has been outlined by Paul in the first three chapters of Ephesians As a prisoner in the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy, in balance with the calling that you have received, Axios. I urge you to walk, (laughs) peripateo, walk worthy, uh, in a consistent way to what you've been called to and the grace that's been given you. And then develop and live in this character, this Christ-like character that builds unity in the church of Jesus Christ. Be humble. Be patient, be gentle, and put up with one another, especially the difficult characters. And then the challenge of Scripture, the third thing is, is obey the challenge of Scripture. And this is the challenge that Paul Paul gives them. He says in verse 3, he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, uh, which is in the bond of peace. If we're going to grow up in Christ, again, Eugene Peterson says, we have to do it in the company of everyone who is responding to the call of God. Whether we happen to like them or not has nothing to do with it. The Greek verb here for make every effort is an emphatic verb, and it means spare no effort. Spare no effort to keep the unity. Now, it's not to create the unity. The unity is given by the Spirit of God. The unity is given by Christ dying on the cross. Remember the whole of chapters 1 to 3 is Paul describing this unity and how it came about. And it came about through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, breaking down this wall of hostility and this disunity between Gentile and Jew. And as he writes to the Galatians, there is now neither male nor female, slave nor free. Uh, You you, you are all Greek or Jew, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This unity is given by the Spirit of God. It is the the unity of the Spirit. We can't create it, we can't make it. It is God-given. It is died for by Jesus. It is enabled by the Spirit of God. Now, the call that comes on us is make every effort to maintain it, to keep it, and to protect it. Marcus Barth wrote, It is hardly possible to render the urgency contained in the underlying Greek. Not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole man is required, involving the will, the sentiment, the reason, physical strength, and total attitude. John Stott writes about this urging of Paul, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, which is the bond of peace. And John Stott says, what it really is saying here is, yours is the initiative. You do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it, Paul is saying. Such are the overtones of verse 3. That's what Marcus Bart is writing about. Says so it. it means everything you've got, your will, your emotions, your physical body, do it and do it now. Do what God is calling you to do. Make every effort, every effort that you can make to maintain the bond of peace, the spirit of unity within the body of Christ. Yours is the initiative. Obviously, when we hear preaching like this and we hear scriptures like this we can all think of 10 people that need to hear this message you've got somebody in your mind right now but do me a favor put the blinkers on and take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brothers and I'll do the same I've got to apply this to me you've got to apply this to you, it's for you You, take every initiative that you can make, as far as you are able, live at peace with others, as far as you are able. Make every effort, there's an urgency here, to live in peace, in unity with one another, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, which is the bond of peace. Philip Melanchthon said, in in essentials, unity. Unity in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Show sure love and patience to one another. We used to sing a song when I was growing up, Bind Us Together, Lord. Some of you will remember it. I think we might even sing it afterwards. We're going to go retro. It says, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords." that cannot be broken. Bind us together. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. This is the bond of peace, the ropes of peace. (laughs) Paul's in chains as he's writing these, but he says, be bound together in the bond of peace, in these ropes of peace. Let peace tie you together. And then that song goes on. There's only one God. There's only one king. There's only one body. And that's why we sing. Bind us together, Lord. And so there is the command of Scripture, and as these commentators have said, we cannot overemphasize the urgency and the strength of Scripture in challenging us to do everything that is within our power to maintain unity in the church. And the fourth point is this, is that we are to learn from and be inspired by the perfect community which is the trinity there is verse 4 here there is one body and there's one spirit just as you were called to one hope you were when you were called there's one lord there's one faith there's one baptism there's one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all we have here seven ones the perfect biblical number for completeness seven ones that paul is describing there's only one of these there's only one body of christ there's only one spirit of christ and you all have received that one spirit you've all been baptized into one family you have one father you have one lord you have the same lord jesus christ that you serve You have one faith, you have the same faith as I have, one baptism, one God, one Father who is over all and through all and in all, and Paul just keeps hammering away, one, there's just one faith, there's just one baptism, there's just one of these. We have more that binds us together than divides us, we have more that unites us than divides us, and of course. You are different to me and I am different to you. We have different outlooks on life. You might be an extrovert, I might be an introvert. You might be black, I might be white. You might be educated, I might be uneducated. You might be all different things to me. But I am your brother in Christ and you are my sister. (laughs) We have the same dad. (laughs) We have the same father. We have the same hope. You're going to be in heaven with me, so you better get to like me. <laughs> You're going to live with me forever. <laughs> we have all, all of these things that unite us, and we, we've said this many times, that we are united in Christ. Now, the, the amazing thing is that the whole of chapter 2, where Paul is saying, all of this happened through the blood of Christ, It happened through the cross. You were separate. You were divided. There was no way to the covenants for you. No way to the promises of God. And yet now, through the death of Christ, this was important enough for Christ to die for, you have been made one in Christ. You've been made one. That's what he died for. And what did he pray for in John 17? What was was Jesus praying for on the eve of his death? What was so important that he would pray for? His last words, his last prayers. What, what Jesus prayed for. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, these disciples. I, I pray for those who will believe in me, that's, that's us, through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a lot at stake here in the unity of the body of Christ. Because Jesus says it's through that unity that the world will believe that you sent me. They will know that you are my disciples because of their love for one another. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one As we are one, Father, the perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, and I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and you have loved them even as you have loved me. This is what Jesus prays for before he dies, that you would bring them to complete unity, that they may be one, There is, Paul says, (laughs) you may be Jewish and you may be Gentile. You may be female, you may be male. You may be poor, you may be rich. You may be a master or a slave. But let me tell you there's only one body of Christ. There's only one church. There's only one spirit. You were called to one hope when you were called. You have one Lord, whom you both all serve. You have one faith, you have one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Seven times Paul highlights the unity of the faith. These big hitting central truths that unite us. We may not agree on certain things, but we are united in one body. We have one spirit. We serve the same Lord. We have the same Father in heaven that we pray to and we are to contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. There's a lot at stake here. This is what Jesus died for, this is what he prayed for, that we might be one as he is one. The unity is given by the spirit. The qualities of gentleness and patience and love And forbearance are fruits of the Spirit in our lives. And we have to do everything in our power to maintain the unity of the Spirit by the bond of peace, tied together with ropes of peace. Let's pray. Lord, there's a gravity to this, a weightiness, a, an imperative, a great challenge of Scripture, an exhortation. We have received so much, so much grace. The weight of our calling is tremendous. And we need to walk worthy of the calling that we've received. Father, I pray that we would... Sing and pray that old ancient song. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I pray, Lord, that we would examine our own hearts and that we would do whatever it takes to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I pray, Lord, that these fruits of the Spirit would be evident in our lives, a gentleness with which we speak and act towards one another, a humility, a preferring one another, a putting up with one another. Lord, we pray that we might do whatever is on us to do, Lord, and do it urgently and do it now. And Lord, we thank you that all of this was achieved at the cross, was paid for at the cross, was paid for and prayed for by Jesus. So I pray, Lord, even as we sing this song now, maybe it will be our prayer that you would bind us together. Unity is not something that can be coerced or externally applied. It comes from our hearts. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch us and changes and transformers that we might be one body that we might contend as one man for the faith of the gospel and that the world may see that the church of Jesus Christ is this world transforming place where we who are many are one body and we carry this gospel truth in Jesus name amen